taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast with yours truly, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. And we're continuing with the uh, tribute to the Christian rock band Petra. The passage of scripture yep. comes from Acts 15, verse 7, says, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God who knows the hearts bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And had to get to that part. <laughs> yep, yep. Wonderful yeah. song there by Petra. It's going to crank up here in a second. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, good music back then. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Bring back, brings they, back a lot they of memories. Even had, yeah, they even had big hair, too. Oh, so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have the mullet anymore. I'd have more of the skullet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or I'd have to put a wig on I have a feeling. I have a feeling if I uh, if I try to grow my hair out like that, I'd probably look like uh, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> the way his hairdo was back in the day. <laughs> no lie. Yeah. 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 I follow in the footsteps of good men. Every single one of them is is bald in my family. So yeah, whatever. Hey, you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm getting there. Yep. Yeah. I held on to I held on to my hair on the top of my head for for a little bit longer than most of them now. Um, it kind of started going to racing motocross and always wearing a helmet and hat and everything. It just uh, eh, it went away. So what? <laughs> yep. Just gotta watch the sunburns though. Everybody makes fun of me and my family. When I'm wearing the trucker hats, you know, outside in the sun and the in the hot G- July sun, I get these little red dots all over the top of my head from sunburn. So I, I am right there with you. In fact, that's been the thing that's been the <laughs> toughest thing for me to to realize is the fact that I need to have a hat on if I go outside, and and I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, funny. Well, I was wearing my cowboy hat uh, a while back. I, I didn't realize that I got three holes on on each side of the cowboy hat, or three little vent holes on each side of the the straw cowboy hat, 
and uh, I was out, I was out moving uh, pipe one day, and and uh, I come in, and I'm like, man, I, my head feels like it got sunburned, but it's, it, but, and they were making fun of me because I had three dots on each side of my head from the holes in that hat. Somebody let it go. It's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah. glory be to God. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So, Curtis, yeah. before we so, get started, I, I've got to share something with everybody. You know, you know the uh, uh, astronomical nerd in me, uh, or you know, it, yeah. I, I've got to uh, share with everybody that NASA, uh, just through some of the telescopes they have, they they uh, have first evidence, uh, visible evidence of a black hole in the center of our own Milky Way galaxy, close to uh, Sag- I think it's called Sagittarius A the star there at the center of our galaxy they have an image now it's interesting to note that the image that you see you can go online and look this up the image you see is red and orange it's kind of a red and orange but actually if you follow the the color spectrum higher energies are actually more in the spectrum of blue and purple and so they said if it were if it were seen in real time in, in real color without the infrared that it would actually be a real bright blue, like an electric blue color surrounding this black hole. And interestingly, uh, now this this floored me because I didn't think that, it, that sound could travel in space, but they said if you have a medium like dust, it can actually produce, you can actually hear sounds. Now there's everything in the universe is vibrating, so there's the universe itself is singing it's almost like it's singing praises to God. Uh, yeah. But they, oh, yeah. <laughs> but they actually picked up and detected vibrations coming from a uh, a black hole, and um, they they had to crank up the volume because it, in normal sound, no one it would be well below what we could hear. But they crank it up, amplified, I think like a trillion times, uh, the sound coming from this black hole. And they heard the following. So let me play the sound uh, for of this black hole that they that, that NASA just produced. Uh, I think it was earlier this week, if I'm not mistaken. Let's play it now. amazing you may think that well brian's just got a upset tummy but no that's <laughs> that was actually the sound coming from a black hole uh amazing to consider the god's glorious creation and that there are things out there that like this black hole producing sounds visible uh, very evident and it's funny because i heard a uh, an astronomer say not long ago that if there's one thing we've learned that there are uh, just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I'm thinking, hey, yeah, Christians have been saying that about God for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Psalm 19. Mm, absolutely. Verse ver- verse one: The heavens declare the glory of God, Amen. and the sky above proclaims the handiwork. Mm. And and I th- I think that's 
Amen. I think that's proof positive right there. Yeah. Well, have you watched? Have you watched um, Louis Giglio's uh, video he put out? No, probably seven, eight years ago or so. Um, and he's how great is our God? It is the is the video, but it's um, he he gives this talk about um, you know the, the universe being so big, and he keeps talking about how if Earth was a golf ball. And he shows on this screen behind him the size of the planets and everything, right? And and the size and the and the scope of the universe, right? Well, then he goes into having this sound, and he starts saying that the stars will make sounds. These stars and planets make sounds, and they have sounds where they're just these like um, real rhythmic and repeated sounds, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he plays it out. And then he talks about how the the whales sing a song, and so he oh, does yeah. this compilation between the stars and the whales, slows it down, and it and he speeds it up, and it's and he then makes that all go together, and then he has the whole place, the whole stadium that he's given this talk in. They start singing "How Great Is Our God" oh, along wow. with the whales and the stars, and it's just really cool to see. I mean, it's. It's amazing to think that it, this is this is how my mind works. That the God that is so vast and great and grand knows us personally down to the last itty bitty little cellular molecule that's in our body. So it just blows me away. He can be so big yet so personal. Yeah, it's. I mean, even working right. at the very aspect of the quantum level molecular level i mean god works there just as much as he does in the grand cosmological areas of the universe i mean it's absolutely it just it's mind-boggling to think how vast and how immense but yet how intimate our god truly is as the wonderfully said curtis mm. amazing stuff so yeah boy we're just about done with this uh with this series so yeah, this this week and next week, and we're we're wrapped up with season five. Hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And last week we talked about the different Jewish um, denominations or sects. So S E T C S or S E C T S. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we talked about those, and I kind of thought when when we were talking about it and you asked well what do you think you want to cover on this next one and i said let's let's talk about the christian uh denominations or s-e-c-t-s sects that came out of the jewish understandings of that and what kind of formulated at the early time that christianity was being birthed you know sure um because because Christianity didn't just happen to pop out in from nowhere. It came out of a tie to the the Judeo understanding and the Judeo. So I tell people all the time, Christianity is no more than Jewish faith finished out, completed to its to its fullest. Yeah, completed to its fullest end. We understand. We think we we look at it as we have the Messiah, mm-hmm. the Messiah Jesus. So, 
I'm just curious. Uh, that's kind of where I wanted to go with it, and I think I think we got some good stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to, to uh, cover that segment because you mentioned the early se- the Jewish sects. Let me let me let me cover that because I don't think I really addressed that in, in our questions. Let, let me just say this: I don't think any of the early Christians had anything um, even vaguely relatable to the Sadducees. Um, because the Sadducees and the Christians had nothing in common. Sadducees only held that the Torah was the revelation of God. Early Christians believed, like the Pharisees, that the whole thirty-nine books of the Jewish canon were 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 uh, were were biblical, or were their Bible was their Bible were part of the, was part of their Bibles. What I'm trying to say. Um, the the Jew the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection really didn't focus on an afterlife from what we understand and obviously Christians were were very much very much believed that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord and that the resurrection would soon come um, as evidenced by uh, Jesus's own personal revel- uh, resurrection so the, the the connection they had with the Sadducees I would say would be none, a null and void. I don't think they had anything even vaguely related to the Sadducees. There were, however, I think some. Uh, there were some strong connections with the Pharisees. And as we mentioned last week, the Pharisees would really directly impact rabbinical Judaism in later centuries. Um, but interestingly, there may be some connections with some Christians with the Essenes. Um, it's it's believed by some scholars that John the Baptist may have been in the scene. Um, some of your monastic Christians may have been more Essenic in that rela- in, in that relation. Mm, it is interesting because John may have even had some vague connections. I don't think he was really strongly connected with the Essenes, but it's interesting because uh, the Essenes in their literature, the Qumran, if if and that's a big if, if the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Qumran area was part of the Essene community, which is normally held that they, that they are, um, or that it is. Uh, but some some differ. But if we assume that they that the uh, this literature what did come from the Essenes, their war scrolls talked about the sons of light facing the sons of darkness. Well, it's interesting. John focuses a lot on Jesus's teachings on light. In dark, um, mm. a lot of the symbols you see used by John are are vaguely referenced in in the Essenic Essenic com- community. Um, so, you know, there may be some relation there uh, between certain aspects of the early Christian movement with the Essenes. But by and large, I think the the Christians uh, would have had far more in common with the Pharisees. Than they did any other any other grouping, but there were obvious distinctions, obvious distinctions between early Christianity and and classic Pharisaic uh, Pharisaicalism, uh, which would later become classic Judaism. So I didn't really relate to that uh, to, in the questions, but I wanted to answer that before right. we kind of moved on. Right, and I wanted to kind of cover the New Testament writers. When they refer to scripture, when they when they say, as in scripture or as what scripture says or to fulfill scripture, 
they're referring to that 39 books yes of 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 what was understood correct except for later on peter then says some of paul's writings are equal to or or could be considered scripture yeah correct that that's correct because as time went on they had uh five or six things they were looking for later on that they to recognize canonical new testament scripture uh, but yeah already by by the 60s uh peter was already re- recognizing the fact that uh the literature that paul was writing was inspired by god and it, that it had that, it had that inspiration and even equates it to being on the same par with with the Hebrew Bible, there's even some connection to the Gospel of Luke, uh, and and it seems to me that um, that there are, are I think that the, the Synoptic Gospels were written all before 64 A.D. In my opinion, now there are other scholars, Craig Keener, a man whom I greatly admire, he believes they were all written after 70 A.D. Um, even if that's the case, I think there would have been some type of prototypical version, prototype uh, of of these early gospels, and obviously the oral traditions were there, uh, even preceding um, the, the writings well into back to the time of Jesus. But having said all that, I think that there were there is evidence that Luke may have been around. The Gospel of Luke may have been around. Some of the other gospels may have been around. And the fact that they're quoting from some of those texts or alluding to those texts uh, seems to also bring them on par with Scripture as well. But to, to uh, the most explicit reference is the, the one that you mentioned of where Peter references the, the writings of Paul and places them, equates them with Scripture. So we're, we're on good, solid ground when it comes to uh, yeah. the biblical foundation. And by the way, that's something we're going to talk about this on the next uh, conclude, uh, uh, following podcast, which will conclude this series, about some of the things we're going to discuss coming up next season. And when we go through um, the, our next theology proper, when we talk about the revelation of God, we'll actually hit on some of this as we talk about the revelation of God and how it was understood. I don't know, man. I'm excited about <laughs> all of what we got stashed up here right after right after we're done with this. I mean, I, oof, boy. Um, we'll yeah, have a good time got, next year. <laughs> oh, man, where are we? Yeah, it's going to be good stuff. So um, let's just jump right into it. So what do we mean by early Christian sects? So like what we said last week, you know, we were talking about sects, meaning sectors or sections of Judaism, and we, we noted that there were, uh, what, five, I think we, we spoke of, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Pharisees, uh, the Samaritans, uh, and the Zealots uh, were the five major sectors or sects of uh, Judaism. Well, likewise, when we talk of early Christian sects, uh, we're talking about different um, denominations or section, sectors that came from uh, early Christianity, and interestingly, as we're going to as we're going to see as we move along, there really wasn't many major sects that developed until after the church gained freedom in Rome and and became under um, political influence uh, or or was involved in the politics of Rome. Um, the growth had something to do with it. Um, and then the power that they were given uh, um, 
that had also something to do with it. And as we go, through, we're actually when we talk about the early Christian church and the different sects, so we're going to take this all the way up to 1054. Uh, and, and this is going to actually impact some of the later denominations, and, and it'll make sense as we go through. But really, it, it uh, there, there were some disputes over some minor issues, but as far as major denominations, denominational issues, there really wasn't many early on. Um, there, You did have your heresies. Uh, like Gnosticism, we'll yeah. talk about that, and those thing type of things grew uh, grew out of Christianity. But um, uh, as far as the the core essential doctrines of the faith, uh, they were pretty much held intact by the the vast majority of everyone uh, for for several years. Hmm. How long did that How long did that stay on? I mean, how long did that hold together the first the first portion before it actually started getting split? What 300, 400 years? Something about like that. I mean, you do have, and we'll talk about this here in just a few moments, you did have a uh, first council um, to take place in 48 AD. We'll talk about that. And then there were five major, and here again, this is another thing we'll talk about in our podcast tonight. Uh, As the church grew, you're going to see that there are five major areas of the early church that uh, that grew into these different sectors of, of the early Roman Empire or the Roman Empire, which would some even call the Holy Roman Empire, and then um, there were kind of capital cities, and then there were there were different uh, a few minor differences among these um, different places, and then there was the argument about which. Of the five, uh, which they call this the Petarchy, or no, excuse me, Pentarchy, Penta meaning five, five cities, which one held the the most authority of the five, and so there were kind of there was kind of turmoil between the different cities, but that didn't come along until really around, um, it didn't really become a major focus until around the five hundreds, which would been about the sixth century. Uh, before that, you did have your churches, you did have your different groups and stuff, but and you did have your squabbles over issues. And you know, in the three hundreds, you had uh, the whole issue of Arianism, which became a major focus. Um, there were divisions over that, but Orthodoxy, classic Orthodoxy, won out. And uh, but as far as really breaking into different groups, I, I would kind of argue that really came about with the Pentarchy uh, of of the five hundreds. And then later would be even so more what, issue of an issue in the in ten fifty four. Right. Wow. It's a long time. <laughs> My goodness. So, what caused what caused the first major division in the early Christianity? Then it had a lot to do with Gentiles entering the church. The gr- church grew and expanded in the first century. In, in an unbelievable fashion, it, it's taken many people off guard about how fast the church really did grow. Um, so put yourself, but to be fair, put yourself in the shoes, going back to something you mentioned before, uh, earlier, Curtis, put yourself in the shoes of the individuals who comprised the first church. They were Jewish believers, and as Jewish believers living in the first century, they were told certain things like, you're not to associate with Gentiles, okay? Uh, you are supposed to be circumcised, and that is that that is your initiation into the covenant people. That serves as your initiation into the covenant people. 
uh, you're not to abstain from meat sacrificed to an idol, and you are to avoid ever eating anything, any type of meat with a from an animal with a cloven hoof, like such as pork and things of that nature. Um, but as the church began to grow, and they began to reach people in in various areas. Um, grew and expanded, people coming in from speaking different languages, people coming in looking very different from different traditions, um, individuals who may not know you're not supposed to eat pork, and you may not know that you're supposed to be circumcised, they're coming to faith in Christ, and Paul in the early church is not requiring them to become like them. <laughs> So they have a big problem with that. And so that causes an issue. And even think about Paul himself. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, and right. He was a man who, who desired to keep the Torah. Uh, he was on the fast track to become a member of the Sanhedrin, which in those days would have meant great security, a great paycheck, uh, great notoriety. I mean, you would have had it made in the shade if you were part of the Sanhedrin. And he was on track to be a Pharisee, Pharisaical member right. of the Sanhedrin. But something happened on the road to Damascus. As he is turning Christians over to the authorities, having them arrested and even having them killed, even though he didn't have to do that, he held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. He saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he began to become, he become or became a the missionary, the evangelist to the Gentiles. And so, but at first, the church was a little hesitant about accepting him in. If it hadn't been for Barnabas speaking on Paul's behalf, then... He kind of of can imagine. (laughs) I mean, honestly, Barnabas had a great role in in Paul being accepted by the early church. If it hadn't been for him, who knows what would have happened. (laughs) A lot of memories were made with a guy named Barney. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Every generation had one, I guess, because you got years of my generation is Barney Fife, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, gee, many crickets. <laughs> Good stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> so how does Paul and the Jerusalem Council um, of AD 40, uh, 48 uh figure into this division as far as what what did they I know we just covered that to a, to a degree but what did they really I guess and how did they really come come out into making everything work together so yeah and this goes back to the fact that Paul was reaching he's preaching and the spirit's moving and he's reaching people for for Christ and uh, in in Acts chapter fifteen, this Acts fifteen actually holds the entirety uh, of uh, the Jerusalem Council and the things that were said. We read a passage of scripture uh, to start off the podcast uh, about right. something that was said at the Jerusalem Council by Peter himself. Um, so fifteen Acts fifteen starts off by saying that some men came down from Judea, began to teach the brothers that unless you were circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so they equated circumcision with salvation. Now, remember when you, when you re- remember this when you're reading through the book of Hebrews, when you're reading through these different books, there is a group of individuals that grew out of this conf- confrontation, out of this 
discussion and a group called the Judaizers that were equating the laws of Moses with salvation. So they were saying that it was Christ plus the law of Moses, Christ plus circumcision that equaled salvation. Now, just think about what that would have meant for the early church as they're growing, people are coming to faith, and you're telling them that right. you not only you're saved by grace, not because of yourselves, but because of what Christ has done. But if you're going to be saved, you have to also do these works in addition to the grace of God. It really not is nonsensical if you think about it. But this became a major issue, and so Paul he's leading the charge. Paul and Barnabas in verse two had engaged them in serious argument and debate. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Uh, they passed through the, both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. And so the apostles and elders, they gathered together. And um, after a lot of debate, this is when Peter says, You're aware, early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Peter's standing up for Paul. Peter's standing up for the Gentile believers. And um, the whole assembly, after Peter gives this message, um, well, let me just go on to, to continue. This is an early uh, sermon summary, which means that this is this comes from the mouth of the, the voice of Peter himself. He said, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that they are. In verse 12, we see that the whole assembly became silent and listened to Paul and Barnabas and describe all the things that God had done. And so um, by the end of it, um, the um, the apostles uh, and the elders and the whole church decided to select men who were among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas, and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And then they write a letter They that says... Uh, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them um, to you with our dearly beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. And they are, they're suggesting that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, and from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. And so they did give some advice on, on some moral issues. Uh, and, and as far as eating meat sacrificed to an idol, that could have been a, it could have caused a burden to some people that didn't need to be there. Yeah. So for that reason, they were said, they said, be sexually moral, abstain from these things, but you're not required to keep the law because you've been saved by grace through faith. And so they agreed with Paul and Barnabas. And this was huge. And how, how much do you want to bet that, that Paul and Barnabas got a standing ovation from the titles at that moment? <laughs> Absolutely. 
and and the fact that Peter came <laughs> around because Peter and Paul had a few issues in Galatia, um, but Peter Peter and Paul came around. They they were not as hostile towards one another as some people make them out to be. They had one discussion, they had one debate, and and Peter was convicted. And we see here by forty eight A.D. he's standing on the side of Paul. And he's and he's yeah. made the decision that that it is by grace through faith that, you, that we're saved, and that we're not required to add additional burdens that no one has been able to bear in times past. <laughs> so this was huge. This was huge for the church and huge for the Christian movement. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, like like what you're talking about, where where Paul comes in and sees Peter sitting uh eating with the eating with the judaizers with the you know at that and uh, and and not eating with the gentiles um removing himself from that and imagine how awkward of a of a moment that would have been you know i can just picture like paul walking in and maybe leaning on the doorpost of the doorway in the cafeteria you know you hear everything kind of going down and he's like hey peter <laughs> how come you're over there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's just my kind of humor. That's the kind of humor I have in my head, though. I can see oh, something okay. like that happening. I mean, honestly, and Paul was not one to shy away from controversy. Uh, you know, if if he saw something and the Lord convicted him of something, he was going to say something. He was going to speak out, and so um, he's one of those friends. Yeah, he's, and you know what? Sometimes those type of friends may make us uncomfortable, but a lot of times, that if if the Lord's moving through them and they they have a changed heart, um, sometimes the Spirit speaks a lot of truth through them if we'll listen. Yeah, yeah, amen. <laughs> uh, so, what were the five major uh, centers of Christianity, and how did they differ? Okay, so this this would later grow into, especially in the 500s, what would be called the Pentarchy, wow. and and um, the word means from penta, meaning five, and then it's like the authority, the authority of uh, like you have patriarchy, uh, the leadership of the male, matriarchy, the leadership of the female. A pentarchy would be, or pentarchy would mean that you have five governing centers which served as a leadership for the church, uh, kind of like a board of elders, if you want to put it like that. So, and this kind of grew out, this kind of followed, grew out from the growth of the church. So it started in Jerusalem. So the, so the five major cities were the following, Jerusalem, Rome, Ephesus, Antioch of Syria, and Alexandria, Egypt. Ephesus would later be replaced by Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul, um, Turkey. Okay, so let's just kind of follow what happened here. So we know the church was birthed out of Jerusalem, which was the headquarters of Israel. Uh, it was very Jewish-focused. Um, uh, in the earliest church, it was the main headquarters for the church. Uh, whenever issues throughout the um, the New Testament, whenever issues of great importance needed to be decided. They went, like, for instance, here in Acts 15, they went to Jerusalem. They had a Jerusalem council. Uh, even other issues that happened, they would go, Paul would go to Jerusalem and, con- and convene with the elders and apostles and uh, and speak with them about certain issues. Um, but So this was the birthplace, in many ways, this was the birthplace of the church. 
crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus happened here. Uh, the the uh, Pentecost, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit came from this time in, in, in the city. So this church would later become very Jewish-focused. Um, they did have issues with Judaizers in this city, but largely put, this was the headquarters of the church for many years. Uh, but then the church also... Uh, very early on, grew a center in Antioch of Syria. Uh, it was actually in Antioch of Syria that Christians were first called Christians. They had been called the followers of the way, but they but they were actually, the term Christian was an insult. They were called Christians, followers of Christ, uh, as an insult, but they adopted the name, oddly. They adopted the name and called themselves Christians, and it developed into Christianity as we have it today. So it was an Antioch of Syria, most likely that Matthew wrote his gospel. Some people believe that Mark may have either wrote, written his gospel in, uh, in Antioch or it may have been in Rome. Uh, Luke very possibly wrote his gospel in Antioch of Syria. So there's a chance that you could have had three of the four Gospels written in Antioch of Syria. Antioch becomes a major hub of Christian writings. It also becomes a major hub of literal interpretation. Because this area is an area, because this area is a place where the Gospels were written, many of the Gospels were written, they also emphasized taking Scripture literally. And there would become a controversy later on between this group and another group in Alexandria and uh, w where they would take things a little more allegorical. Rome became a major hub. Ro Rome was uh, a Petrine community, uh, meaning that it was developed by Peter. Uh, it would later replace Jerusalem and uh, Constantinople as the major center of Christianity. It's interesting because as time grew on, Rome started arguing because that since Peter and Paul were executed in Rome, since Peter established the church in Rome, they argued that instead of Jerusalem, they were the headquarters of the church. And so Rome started having problems with Jerusalem. Uh, they started the Roman church had problems with uh, Constantinople uh, later on, and uh, there was really a power struggle between Rome and some of these other major Christian hubs. Ephesus was a major city because uh, in Asia Minor, uh, is one of the bigger cities in Asia Minor, and it was really a major hub for many years because this was where John pastored before he died. He died. He's the only disciple, as far as we know, that died a natural death. There may have been another one that could have, uh, but uh, but John. It seems to be that he is. He died a natural death. Uh, there was a Johannine community developed. John wrote his gospel in Ephesus. Uh, he most likely wrote the three letters in Ephesus. Now he wrote Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. But this community developed around John, and so they would have really elevated uh, Johannine literature, like Revelation and all the letters of John and the Gospel of John. And so, But later... Ephesus as a hub was moved to Constantinople, especially during the time of Constantine. It was devoted into a major center in, in his honor and, uh, and would later become a city known that would be renamed as Byzantium and is now today known as Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, but this would become a major player as time progressed, uh, and they would have a lot of issues with the Church of Rome over time. 
Uh, Antioch of Syria, we mentioned that. The last one is Alexandria, Egypt. Some people believe that Mark, the disciple of John, may have instituted the church in Alexandria, Egypt. This was a major intellectual center for the church. Uh, Alexandria boasted one of the largest libraries in ancient history. I mean, they had was like over 10,000 scrolls, 10,000 books uh, in this massive library. And so this was a major hub. Alexandria would be home to later Christian theologians like Clement of Alexandria, Oregon of Alexandria. Uh, most likely, um, Augustine of Hippo would have had some connections with Alexandria. Uh, so there were some major individuals that came in and through this hub of early Christianity. And so... Um, Again, here this was a major intellectual center. Alexandria would really focus a lot more on um, allegorical interpretations, uh, and and this was this would bring them into contention with uh, Antioch of Syria, which we'll talk about uh, here in a few moments. But these are the major yeah. major five areas: uh, Jerusalem, Israel, Rome, Ephesus, which would later be moved to Constantinople, Antioch of Syria, and Alexandria, Egypt. Hmm. It's crazy because the the Roman, you could say the Roman division, you could say, really started early, didn't it? It, it did, and I need to go ahead and mention this because as, as time moves on, um, that division you're talking about, it, it became an issue about. So, so what they would have, let, let me go back and explain one more thing for it to make sense. In this time, they, they didn't have, contrary to what many people would say, they didn't have one pope. They had five elders, and, and these elders would be from these what they called sees, S-E-E-S, uh, these different sectors, and this pentarchy as we're talking about, these five major, major Christian centers. And so, but there would later become a debate about which one was the the headquarters above the headquarters, which one was the which one held the the sole emphasis of authority. Now, over time, these different centers would have issues, but Rome and Constantinople would rise to the top as being the two most major centers. In ten fifty four. There was a division that happened between Rome and Constantinople over issues of icons and uh, even an issue over the Holy Spirit. Um, the the Con- Church of Constantinople uh, was f- far more mystical and, and believed in more spiritual experiences than necessarily the Church of Rome. Now, the Church of Rome did as well, but they were more to the point. They were more that... Uh, to, to the book, I guess you would say, uh, the, the East, the, the Constantinople was more into mysticism. In 1054, the differences between Constantinople and Rome grew too great, to the point that you had the Great Schism of 1054, which divided the church into two sectors: the Western Church of Rome and the Eastern Church of Constantinople. And from that time you then began to find what would become the Roman Catholic Church of the West and the Greek Orthodox Church of the East. 
and that all came about because of this great schism between Constantinople and Rome in 1054. Wow. Then there's a lot more wow. we could add there, but that really, with these five cities and, and two rising to the top, Rome and Constantinople, and that division, that really sets the stage for later developments going on with the nominations. So why did the Christians uh, of Antioch of Syria make issues with the Christians of Alexandria of Egypt? This had a lot to do with the interpretations um, the Alexandrians, now now the Antiochians were very intellectual, don't take this the wrong way, but the Alexandrians were exposed to a lot of different people from a lot of different areas. And so Oregon of Alexandria was actually an apologist along with being a theologian. And so some of the things he discusses in his literature is to actually offer an apologetic argument against some of these accusations he's hearing. But really? Oregon and, Alex, uh, and Clement and many others, they take a more allegorical approach to interpretation uh, of the Scripture. So they believe, they believe in the literal inter- interpretation of Scripture, but they're going to add a lot more spiritual interpretations to that. Mm-hmm. Um, some would argue that maybe their spiritual interpretations supersede their literal interpretations, and in some areas they may be right. The Antiochian school, coming from Antioch of Syria, guys like with guys like John Chrysostom, meaning John the Golden Tongue, he was an eloquent speaker, so Chrysostom means the Golden Tongue, Theodore of Tarsus, Tertullian, Theodore of Mopsuestia, what a name, Mopsuestia, and Theodore of Cyrus, uh, these guys would push back saying, no, you've got to take the literal interpretation of Scripture. They were still open to some allegory, but they were highly focused on the literal interpretation of Scripture. So even between these two centers uh, of Antioch of Syria and Alexandria, Egypt, you had a division taking place about how much allegory is permissible in interpretation and how literal do we need to take uh, passages of Scripture. So there again, I mean, you had not only Rome and Constantinople going at it over power, mm-hmm. now you have Alexandria and Antioch going at it over biblical interpretation. And at this time, by this time, Jerusalem still holds prominence mainly as, as just a namesake because of their being the center of early Christianity, but their influence dwindles over time. It really becomes focused on these more urban areas uh, that you see. That's amazing to me. It really is. I mean, it's it, it, when you start looking at it, it did get some distance away from from the resurrection, but it didn't take long, and you already had politics trying to weave its way in. You had <laughs> personal agendas trying to weave their way in. And it's just human nature, man. It is now, and I and I'll me. grant you that the to, in my opinion, I think the Alexandrian. Antiochian debate is far more important, in my opinion, than the Roman-Constantinople debate. The reason this debate happened was because, again, you had Rome. This is a very populated center. Uh, This was the seat. This is the capital of Rome itself. The, The capital had been moved to Constantinople after Constantine's time in honor of him, for a period, I believe that's right. Or if not, it's at least a major center. But you have this this power play between Rome 
and 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 Constantinople. That was all about power. That's all that was about. That was all about power. Now there were some theological elements to it as well, but that was mainly about power. This other one uh, from the east to west, that debate was over power. The north south, Antioch and uh, Alexandria, that debate I still think has some some implications today with some of the things we're facing. With um, I mean, like what Scott Reynolds wrote not long ago about uh, yep. about interpretations and how we read it things. Um, yep. I think that's still a good a good um, topic to discuss. But but again, I think that the North South debate in the early church was uh, uh, far more important than the East West was. So, so then, what were the earliest heresies? Uh, that that the church faced um, beings that they were divided or starting to get divided like this. Yeah, so the Judaizers, I think, constituted the very first division that took place, and that's what led to the um, first J- Jerusalem Council of, uh, of 48. Uh, I, I think that's what we see there. Arianism would become another... Well, let me back oh, yeah. up. That would become an issue in the 300s. But the next earliest would be Docetism and Gnosticism. John Docetism was there in John's day. John wrote against Docetism, which would later become Gnosticism. Um, some of the later uh, writings we see in the New Testament really reference that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was not an apparition, and or he wasn't just a spiritual being, but, but he was God come in flesh. And then Arianism, right. uh, the debate in the 300s between Arius and Athanasius, uh, that would become a major area of contention. But there again, what was was a major, it was an important debate to be had about who Jesus was. Is he divine? Was the incarnate Son of God, or was he the first created being uh, of God? Oh, it's a satire right there when they say, come on, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, this is true. That's Arianism. <laughs> Come on, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what can what can the modern Christians take from these early early groups, um, and and where they differ and where they agreed? What what can we take from this? I think one of the things we can take from it is the fact that it's okay for us to have disagreements on minor issues, as long as we're as long as we're together on the main issues. Um, I do think healthy debate is important, especially like when you find issues between Antioch and the literal interpretation of Scripture and Alexandria and the more allegorical. I think those were healthy debates to be had. But I think we also see a warning that takes place. Um, when, when power struggles and political movements become take more of a focus than a God-centered focus does, I think I still go back and I think that the Antioch and just to repeat, not to repeat myself, but just to, just for this repeat, repeating this for emphasis only, the Antioch Alexandrian debate was healthy to ha- to be had, but the Roman Constantinople debate was all about power and who was in control, and that led to a massive splinter or a massive um, uh, what what's the word I'm looking for. A massive shift, a massive splinter, uh, separation or schism uh, between between the church as a whole, and really that led to two major 
um, denominations in the Roman Catholic Church, which would later give birth to Protestantism and its uh, various iterations coming from that. Um, but but we are as Protestants uh, children of the Catholic Church because that's where, that's the lineage we followed. But you also have the um, Orthodox Church. They haven't been splintered as much, but you have like the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox. But that's coming from this Eastern Church found in Constantinople. Uh, but that that segment that that um, divorce between East and West came about because of a power struggle. Yeah, that's all. Just it, the, to me, this all just helps set the framework for what we see today. Absolutely. And 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 to be able to pick out some of the, you could say heresies, but you could also pick out some of the differences rather quickly. Um, when you see it, and if if someone were to you know um, reintroduce some of these new things, like we see with uh, progressive Christianity, we see with some of the influences of um, retracting back to um, some of the more um, orthodox, you could say. Um, fellowship in that way you can start seeing those differences really kind of starting to play out it's solomon said it man he really did yeah so well that ends this that we're gonna we're gonna be going off here uh folks we just thank you for spending time with us um we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and and really become a playful a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Beltor Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, So strong, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Thank you for listening to Season 5 of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Our season will conclude at the end of May. Through the month of June, Curtis and I will take a much-needed break. We'll be back with Season 2 of the Summer Interview Series in July and August. Then beginning the first week of October, Season 6 of the Bellator Christie Podcast will begin. Season 6 will feature three theology series on pneumatology, soteriology, and the existence and revelation of God. We hope you plan to join us for what should be a remarkable sixth season. Until then, soldier on, friends.